<clears throat> and we're we're ready. Did it? Did it? Has it snowed up where you live? It's been flurrying all day. My grandma. I'm unhappy. <laughs> my grandma sent me a picture, and she's like, "Happy Easter!" And there's like snow <laughs> on the lawn. Yeah, I'm pissed. It snowed like two, three inches in New Jersey, and so everyone from New Jersey on my Facebook feed is like, "It's April! I'm so mad!" I love what your accent tells me about what you think about people from New Jersey. They're all people I really like. One of them's my mom, who's not even from New Jersey. <laughs> it was that was honestly more of an impression of my mom when she's mad about something like that. <laughs> okay. Sorry mom, I love you. I buy that. I buy that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I would rather it not be snowing i would rather it be warm and sunny please please you're asking for way too much <laughs> well i was saying the other day that actually now what with global climate change <clears throat> whenever spring is taking a long time to arrive i get really afraid that it will just never come <laughs> Yeah. So in April when it's snowing, I'm just like, what if it just never gets warm this year? I think what we have to look forward to is more extremity than it is cold and warm. So like mm -hmm. that whole thing about spring not really existing in certain parts of the country, like Kansas, is just going to mm -hmm. it's just gonna be even more pronounced. There'll be one day with 70 degree weather and that's it. It's either 90 or 10. God, I hate it. I hate that. <laughs> the weather, the kind of weather that I like is just going away. I, I know. I was just listening to an NPR thing about a guy got on there and said that bug biodiversity is going way down. And they got to talking about fireflies and how fireflies aren't as common. Like people notice a lot how fireflies are no longer as common. Mm -hmm. And I got really sad. Yeah. And it's like, will it, our children never have the experience of catching fireflies? Potentially because of pesticides. It's all about pesticides. Like 90. So it's killing the bees too. 90% <laughs> of bug ecosystem problems are pesticides. And then the rest is moving vehicles and habitat destruction because you don't you, there are trillions of bugs and you think that a couple of windshields wouldn't do that much damage but think about how many people drive over how long of a period and the dude was like that adds up like billions of bugs are dying every week from windshields alone and it's actually hurting populations He's like, when I was in Germany in the summer, you used to not be able to drive a kilometer without having to clean off your windshield. Now you can drive for hundreds of kilometers and not have to clean off your windshield. And I was surprised how apt a description of the problem that was. Yeah, good Lord. I never even thought about that. Now I'm thinking about when I drove through northern and eastern montana in june and how just 
like covered the front of my car was in like June bugs and mayflies and stuff. And God, did I just like completely decimate a mayfly population or something? <laughs> you as an individual, like everything that has to do with climate change, you as an individual is only a blip. It's that's true. It's merely the collective problem of a hundred thousand cars, not just one car. So, you know, it's like one farmer putting pesticide on their field is not a huge deal. Whereas everyone is a big deal. <sighs> Save the bugs. This is a pro bug podcast. Also, lightning bugs eat snails. Did you know that? What, what the fuck? <laughs> that is their that is their primary source of food. No. Is that they're, they're, <laughs> they're beetles that eat snails. <laughs> I'm so confused. And I used to think they, I, as a kid, I used to think they ate grass. So I'd always put grass in the jars when you caught them. Oh. But no, apparently a lot of them are, are snail eating. And that may be one of the reasons they're disappearing is not because they're directly being attacked, but because snail populations are being hurt. No, not the snails. I know. Snails are cute. Yeah, snails are so cute. I love them. But not slugs. I was actually really emotionally invested in the story of, like, the left penis to snail. <laughs> yeah! What was his name? He had I don't a, remember. Well, okay, they like, had a name because snails are hermaphroditic, but whatever. Yeah, but they found, they found the lefty snail, like, a partner, even though it's, like, a really rare, really right. rare occurrence in snails. But didn't they not mate? Didn't they find each other? I don't know. Because I'm pretty sure the story was like they found each other, but they didn't mate. <laughs> so, like, it was kind of like... bros. Kind of like a womp womp. Oh, yo, in terms of lefties, lefty pride, um, love that Doug is left-handed and he is consistently left-handed in the show. That's pretty cool. Uh, which brings me... Yeah, let's uh, go ahead and start talking point. about Doug. <clears throat> yeah. Um, hey, I'm Paige. I'm Chris. And this is Animates. And tonight we're going to be discussing Doug. And I have some information about Doug as our lovely mouth-based music plays in the background. Yeah. Which, actually, that's a note about the music of the show is that a lot of it is just mouth sounds. Also sound effects. So yeah, it, it, it as a show was noted for this kind of trend in its stuff. Mm -hmm. What do you remember of Doug, Paige? When, when were you watching Doug? When was I? Do you want me to do this before you read like the standard background information of Doug? I'm interested, yeah, to hear when you watched Doug. I watched Doug a significant amount, um, like preschool through like third grade, I want to say. Um, though that may be exaggerated, it's hard to like figure out the passage of time when you're that young. But let's see, I was born in 1993, so I probably was watching Doug, oh, 
somewhere in the time period of like 97 to 02, something like that. I would have been fairly the same in that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was six years old when Doug moved to Disney, but Nickelodeon kept airing old episodes of Doug. So Mm -hmm. I was very much watching it sort of in the mix with the other shows. I didn't watch it as much, though. This is I watched so much, Doug. This is the first show we've come to where I can definitively say <laughs> that it features much less prominently in my memory than most other television shows on Nickelodeon. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, so also, really quickly, before you get started on the basic rundown... Uh, I rarely ever watched Doug on Disney. I primarily watched it on Nickelodeon. And probably because of that, and probably because as a child I thought the Disney version was bullshit, I only recognized the four Nickelodeon seasons as official Doug canon. And that is the only thing that will be discussed on this show. Yes. Uh, Disney Doug is apocryphal. And it is heretical. <laughs> it's it's like the it's the Gnostic text. <laughs> yeah, it's it's there, but it's false. <laughs> uh, so Doug, naturally, if you don't remember, Doug's a TV show that ran on Nickelodeon. It started airing in 1991. So you'll remember that we talked about Nickelodeon running its first sort of block of original Nickelodeon-specific programming. And we talked about Ren and Stimpy, The Rugrats, and Doug. So those three aired on the same night. They premiered at the same time, relatively. So they're sort of compare, like put in there together. And they're very different shows. <laughs> I still can't believe Ren and Stempy aired alongside them, but <laughs> whatever. The yeah, world is wild. a weird. The world is a weird place. For so sure. it was created by Jim Jenkins and featured a very interesting cast of characters. Since we're not recognizing Disney's Doug, we're recognizing the seasons <laughs> that aired. From 1991 until 1994. Overall, compared to the other shows that we watched, it has a, it had a very regular production production schedule. Uh, mm-hmm. 13 episodes a season, and consistently they aired a season a year. Oh, okay, season almost every year. So overall, pretty regular compared to. The Rugrats, or especially Hey Arnold. The show... Yeah, definitely. uh, The show, all that music, all that mouthy, mouthy, mouthy stuff. You've got Dan Sawyer and Fred Newman, who are like the main composers on the show. And then we have our cast, right? And this is another ensemble show. Like, it's about Doug, but... The show would be nothing without sort of our other like cast of people. So we've got Doug Porkchop, his sentient dog, Mr. Dink, <laughs> the eccentric next door neighbor whose wife 
only exists for deadpan one-liners. Uh, <laughs> we have Skeeter, Doug's best friend. Uh, Patty Mayonnaise, who's probably actually the coolest character on the show. In my opinion. That's my opinion. Um, <laughs> Roger, the punk leather jacket wearing dude who's really just there to he's torment. The bully. Yeah, he's the bully. But he's like a pseudo, I don't know. He's a bully, but they're also friends. It's kind of weird. Um, yeah. And then we've got Doug's parents and we've got Doug's sister, Judy. I love Judy. Um, <laughs> Paige thinks she's extra, like super extra, which she can explain. <laughs> and we have yeah, <laughs> Patty Mayonnaise. Patty Mayonnaise. Uh, Billy West. Some of you will know. Some of you will have seen my post on our Facebook page. Billy West does the voice of Doug. And I love it. And he does a lot of background characters, too. He does Roger as well. Oh, but, really? Yeah. So Billy West is do, does this a lot where he you were talking about how, like, people get a lot of work out of a single voice actor. Well, Billy West mm -hmm. kind of exemplifies this factor where when he's in shows, he does a lot of voices and a lot of it are side or background characters but he'll he'll do a couple of like main cast characters too. So in this case he does both Doug and Roger. And I wouldn't be surprised to find out that he does like other voices that aren't like specifically mentioned here in the information that I have. Patty Mayonnaise See the Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead with the voices. Patty Mayonnaise is voiced by Constance Shulman, which she has a I don't know. Patty has a distinct voice. I always thought she did. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, so Skeeter's name is Mosquito. <laughs> uh, Mosquito Skeeter Valentine. Just to get that out of the way. <laughs> Mosquito Skeeter Valentine is voiced by Fred Newman, who was also a composer on the show. Huh. Yeah. <clears throat> BB... The rich, the rich, the token rich girl, which we've had, we've had a token rich girl in almost every show we've watched. You're right. Yeah. So she's the token rich girl for this show. She's voiced by Alice Playton. Porkchop was voiced by Fred Newman. Bunch of barks. <laughs> uh, Mr. Dink, whose first name is Bud, was also voiced by Fred Newman. So what I'm getting out of this is that a couple of voice actors carried a lot of weight in this show. Yeah. Well, let's not neglect, though, my personal favorite member of this cast, Don Knotts. Okay. Barney Fife himself is in this show. As who? As Mr. Bone. As Mr. Bone. Lamar Bone. Lamar Bone, if you don't remember, is the vice principal. Not the principal, who we really never see. The vice principal. So, interesting, interesting cast. 
I I want to I want to I I was reading something funny. So Doug released okay. alongside shows that were kind of weird, and Doug as Paige, Doug is like white bread. It's Tate like I like it. It's. <laughs> It's the Moscato of shows. I, that's uh, what I said, yeah. The food paste of shows. The Soylent of shows. It, 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 I, I, yeah, that's the one that I was talking about. It's the Moscato of shows because it's like, it's tasty and it's sweet and it goes down easy, but like, it's not. But that's all. But, and it, 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 it like, it's a good show. I, I, I mostly enjoyed my time watching it. Uh, it's funny because. Jenkins commented when all these shows released together, he's like, well, Ren and Stimpy is getting all this attention and he attributed it to the, like the creator of Ren and Stimpy stating that like, that's the reason that show was getting a lot of attention. But after watching, but just knowing what Ren and Stimpy is and watching this show and watching the Rugrats, Personally, I think it's because the other two shows are really crazy. And this show, aside from people being weird colors, is fairly, like, straightforward. Yeah, it is. So Jim Jenkins also um, was really adamant that the show have a purpose um, to the point where he even made writers on the show outline the moral of the story. on the script that they turned in. Um, And so, and that really comes through, you know, like often he's literally stating the moral at the end. Um, Well, we've got the framing device of the journal, right? So Doug, Doug writes in a journal that if you try and call it a diary, he flips the fuck out because of course he does. Um, Yeah can't be construed as being anything like vaguely feminine, even though a journal and a diary are literally this, he treat, they, they're treated the same. Um, mm-hmm. That he's like, Oh, I should have just told the truth all along, which is a lesson that keeps yeah. coming up that he never seems to fucking learn. Um, but yeah, the more like the, the show's framing device makes it fairly formulaic. It often begins with a flashback, like the story is told in flashback, and then it comes back and he's writing in his journal. Um, the morals are often overtly stated. The show is auto is somewhat autobiographical for Jenkins himself, so it is likely based on events that and people that he knew growing up in Virginia. And because of that style, I think that naturally it's going to be a little bit more straightforward because he's telling like a real story instead of something that's a little bit more crazy that you might see on another show. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So the first thing, I think this is a good point for me to say, like the one thing that I have to say about the show that really isn't about its content it's more about um, animation and the rules of cartoon worlds because I am, and I could be very wrong um, because keep in mind, I did not really watch very much Cartoon Network during this time period, but I think that Doug marks a transition point 
between two different eras of cartoons. Um, so you have cartoons throughout the mid 20th century, uh, which kind of the rules of cartoon worlds are that there are no rules. Um, everyone's immortal. When you run away, it makes a sound and lines appear in the air behind you. Um, you can get hit in the face with a frying pan and it like makes your face flat, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And then you reach a point in the late 90s, I would say, and in the 2000s, where the rules of cartoons become the rules of the real world, for the most part. Like, unless a show is specifically about a magical premise, then, like, there are no lines appear in the air behind you when you run away. You know, like, you can't you know, do weird things with your body that a normal human body couldn't do. You know, they come become much more realistic. And Doug is like right in between. Whereas the content of the show and the characters and a good portion of the animation, with some exceptions, is like pretty realistic. But there's still stuff like you know, Skeeter spins around when dancing and he gets turned into a knot and they can't untie him and he walks away on his fingers, you know, stuff like that. So it's this kind of weird transition point between two different ways of approaching animated worlds. And you see some of the, I guess you see some of that in the plots too, (laughs) just because some of them are like more crazy or eccentric. Mm-hmm. And then some of them are pretty straightforward. Like Doug, Doug is a servant to Judy for a week. Yeah, <laughs> and it's all fairly straightforward. You see, I don't know. You see a lot of that wacky stuff with Mister Dink and his obsession with expensive gadgets. Too. Yes. Some of those gadgets clearly obey cartoon rules. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, Mister Dink the. Petty bourgeois man who is obsessed with status. Yeah, I see, and it's weird because I remember when I saw him, I had sort of a warm feeling. Like I remembered him fondly. Me too. I really fondly remembered Mr. Dink. And watching the show now, Mr. Dink is really shallow. And ultimately, he teaches some bad lessons implicitly or explicitly like at those sometimes he'll teach Doug about perseverance but other times like his obsession with objects and their importance over other things like his wife (laughs) are certainly like I you could treat as like a meditation on materialism for sure yeah it really seems to be to me because it's like, yeah, I remembered him really fondly from childhood and I think it's because he's kind of goofy. And as a kid, you're like, oh, he's so goofy and he's like nice to Doug. And like, I don't know about you, but I had a grown up neighbor who didn't have any uh, kids who lived in the house or her kids were grown that, you know, was a grown up outside of my family that I was really close with and really loved. And so I think I related to that. Um so I think that's why I remembered him so fondly. But yeah, he is he is the ultimate conspicuous consumer. He is full on like 
Veblen's leisure class because I don't know if they're supposed to be retired or what, but we only ever see him like mow his lawn and hit golf balls and talk to Doug. And not only does he have all these objects and gadgets that were expensive, he has to tell everybody That's, that they were expensive. He can't have a barbecue unless his unique limited edition barbecue with a lid made in the shape of his face <laughs> is there and not broken. I'm just like, you literally could go out and buy a cheap charcoal grill. You clearly have the money or an absurd <laughs> line of credit. So you can definitely afford to buy a regular grill, but no, of course you won't because that's not really why you want to have the barbecue. You want to have yeah. a barbecue because you want to show off your grill, not because you care about hosting people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And his long-suffering wife, Tippy. Who, who I think has, she is like she is because it's a coping mechanism. Oh, yeah, I agree. She, so she, she really remind, go ahead. Everybody may not remember her, but she, she, she exists. I, I made kind of a quip earlier about how she seems to exist purely for deadpan one-liners. And I still stand by that. But looking a little bit deeper, she's usually the person in the background, like making comments about Mr. Dink's gadgets or schemes or ideas. She never seems happy. She's very, <laughs> very flat faced all Glib. the time. And her eyelids are a little bit droopy to give her that sort of disinterested look. Perpetually annoyed. And she's perpetually annoyed. And I think Mr. Dink has so much energy that it would be, she's learned maybe that this is just what I deal with. Like, this is just par for the course. And she just dis disengages and makes snide comments. And yeah. that's how she gets She by. also really reminds me of um, B. Arthur's character from Golden Girls. Oh my God. She really yes. reminds me of Dor Dorothy. Too bad we can't do a Golden Girls podcast. Well, I'm like a recurring character on a different Golden Girls podcast. It's called Golden Guys, Iowa, folks. Go listen to it. Uh, I didn't agree uh, to a cross promotion. <laughs> I, you you were in breach of contract and you oh, now owe me $20,000. Oh, God. Okay, I'll call my lawyer in the morning. So... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Mr. Dink is overall not as big of a part of the show as I remember either, but he is there and he is rich or in debt. <laughs> probably Knowing in America, debt. probably in debt. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so let's not forget where they live too, because that puts some of this into perspective. Doug... The show starts, Doug moves, so he's the new kid in town. That's sort of a fra like a general framing device, is that Doug is the new kid in a town of 2,000 people called Bluffington. And overall, this, the town feels bigger than 2,000 people. Like, mm -hmm. they have a mall, they have a decently big school. It doesn't feel like a town of 2,000. And it's definitely... A small town based around a single industry. So uh, 
BB's father is a capital. <laughs> I'm sure Paige has a lot of mean things to say about BB's father, but yeah, <laughs> he owns a company. I forget what they do. They make bumper stickers. They make bumper there are stickers. Two factories in Bluffington. It is a bumper sticker factory and an ice cream factory. Right. So we've got the ice cream and the bumper sticker factories, and that's definitely like the two that the that those are the two reasons the the, the town exists probably, and. So this is where all this takes place. So naturally, everybody hears everybody's business, I think, is part of that. Mm-hmm. They all have the same shared hangouts, shame, uh, shared restaurants. Though apparently this town has like 10 barber shops. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they all have a shared obsession with beets. Literally the vegetable. Right. Right. Bizarre. Never, even as a kid, I was like, why with the beats all the time? And still, I'm, as an adult, I'm like, why with the beats all the time? Maybe, that that definitely seems like maybe Jim Jenkins just loved beats. <laughs> or maybe he lived in a town where people were obsessed with beats. Hmm. What a wild possibility. What a wild possibility. Um, so... Doug doesn't how do, how do I how do I put it? Doug is a show that communicates a variety of things, but overall I don't have as intense of an analysis. So we talked about how Me neither. We talked about hey Arnold being rich. Mm-hmm. And I think there's stuff in Doug, but it's not as rich. It's really not. Um, it's it's a really bland show. Like, the animation is fun. Like, the characters are somewhat interesting. But it's really just ultimately a really bland show. It's basically just telling... All Coming right, of here age. Comes, here comes an analysis bomb. Um, it's telling a story about a, a middle-class, straight, white sixth grade boy um, in like a very bourgeois setting and its main goal is to transmit morals Um, and it does that but they're the most sort of bland bourgeois values um, and morals, uh, things like thrift Honesty and, is the best policy. Mm-hmm. Hard work pays off. Make, yeah. A gift that you make with your hands is better than a gift that you buy. Don't hurt other you know. people's feelings. Yeah. They're, they're, they're not they're bad fine. morals. They're not no, bad they're morals. No, they're fine. They're just like very bland and boring. The very, like the most middle America. Like Doug is the most middle America show ever <laughs> well like, and, uh, at the very least so far that we've watched and i mean it it is good that it's in our lineup because it serves as sort of a counterpoint rugrats is sort of this hectic communal child raising californian group of parents hey mm-hmm. arnold is west east i'm calling it west coast because it's both yeah. west and east coast so it's this west coast urban dwelling and the 
the problems of a like Arnold's parents aren't there. Like overall, it's just a very like it's a more complicated setting. And yeah. Doug is this smaller town sort of typical. I think part of the reason why it feels more bland is because it's it's what we're used to. It's not new because this, we've seen this in a variety of media, like in other TV shows, in movies. It's like be kind to others. It's like the things that my parents have told me since I was able to like contemplate what they were telling me. And I don't think yeah. that it's fair to say that it's a bad show because of that, but it certainly mm -hmm. it sure it certainly warrants saying that it's not taking I, I don't think now no it, stance. it's not really taking a stance and it's not really taking a risk. Now I think like all cartoons that were like getting released around this time it sort of it, it did take a risk by being what it is sort of in the medium like cartoons like were potentially risky like ventures so in that mm -hmm. sense like it's just as risky as any other cartoon but if you look at the content of it itself it actually kind of makes sense why it was released alongside Ren and Stippy and Rugrats because might it be a pot like it's a palate cleanser it's a show yeah. that you don't have to work hard at to watch. It is something that you can leave in front of your kids without worrying that it's going to inadvertently transmit the wrong message. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also one of those things where I, you know, if I place it in the context of like 1991, even though white men have been able to tell countless semi-autobiographical tales about the interior life of uh, of young men, um, I'm not really sure that we'd had, like, a cartoon before where the whole, where the whole cartoon was about the interior life of a young boy. You know, that's not really what that form was used for. That's what, like lit fic and and movies were for yeah and i think i think it 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 are not my analysis is potentially um it's a little bit too from my viewpoint in 2018 having seen a lot of media like this so as a kid mm -hmm. i think it was newer but it's it, it sits alongside like even live action shows like boy meets world yeah or it, it, it kind of exists in the same medium and now after having watched all that, it kind of just blends in a little bit with all of that stuff. But I don't mean yeah. to say that the show isn't like worth watching exactly or that it or that it, it is bad. That's not what I'm trying to say. But yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just bland. I, I would show it to my kids. I would show it alongside other shows. I think I think that if I had to choose a cartoon to watch on my free time or like if I only could choose one cartoon to show to my kids, this would not be the one. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And I think the, you know, basically it's just because like, it's not that interesting and also because it's conveying a type of value and a type of worldview that I have, um, 
detached from to a certain extent and wouldn't be what I wanted to perpetuate. So it is very, like I said, like bourgeois, like middle America, white values of just hard work is its own reward and thrift and very sort of like low key. Actually, this leads into another point I was going to make. Uh, Doug's no stancism is super indicative of the time period because it's released in 1991, which is uh, the year that the Soviet Union finally collapsed. And it is um, the last two years of the of HW's presidency. So we have this sort of immediately pre-Clintonite, uh, post-Cold War, sort of apolitical world being established, right? That people are like, there are no more politics. Uh, everyone in the world is going to become a liberal democracy now. This is the end of history. Um, we're all living in <laughs> relative... I'm, I'm I know, I'm... Of a paper... I'm I'm not laughing. I'm just laughing at how absurd all of that sounds now. Oh yeah, and, and I mean, like it was absurd then, but you know, like everyone was really living in relative comfort. You know, as far as like white people were concerned, so we kind of had this situation that it was just like, okay, like society is apolitical now. Like we decided during the Reagan years to like get rid of most of the government and society is just apolitical. And so then you, this Doug show is just fitting perfectly into that space of just bland post cold war end of history, very slight liberalism, apolitical stuff. You know, it occasionally takes the small, like, if I like, you squint at Mr. Dink, you can see a critique of materialism, but it's mostly just portraying it and kind of making fun of him personally. And, you know, then one time they show that BB's dad is like kind of a dick, but that's but also he is he didn't actually really work to make that. He was already wealthy and then he used that money to open the bumper sticker factory. So he's old money. So they don't really show people who actually work for their money as being like dicks or anything. I, I like that spicy take about a not spicy thing. <laughs> I mean, when you put <laughs> it like you. that, when you seat it or couch it, couches are more comfortable. <laughs> when you couch it in that time period, that makes total sense. Mm -hmm. I feel like that wasn't so much intentional as it just was, you know, a convergence of that sort of stuff in all aspects of life, including media. Mm -hmm. And I think that, yeah, so I, I actually just finished watching the episode where, or rewatching the episode where Doug gets to be a CEO for a day. Oh my god. And my favorite part of that episode was when uh, BB's dad is explaining like what he does. He's mm -hmm. like, and then I'm going to prepare you for eventual like eventual world domination. <clears throat> I mean a career in business. Mm -hmm. And it's like it comes so close to being a critique of money, but it's not. 
Like it, yeah, it immediately- it's just like the slightest, safest sort of Clinton Democratic nudge at rich people. And it it just goes on to show, and not only that, but it goes on to show that, oh, if people just find the work that's right for them, then it's okay that you work for a giant business. Yeah, exactly. The whole point of the episode is that people should do tasks that suit them, which... On the one find hand, your passion. Yeah, find if your. If you find your passion, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, but it's not even that. It's more like people should do what they're good at, because it's a it's a story mm. about like Doug's like I can't make decisions. I'm an artist, whereas this other person <laughs> is the opposite. And it's not even about like it's not my passion. It's what I'm good at. So it's sort of this kind of idea that like oh. You should do the work that you're good at, i.e. you should kind of like do what you're most productive at. Like it's this sort of yeah. co- like discussion about productivity, like implicitly looking at it from our lens nowadays. Before that was really a huge discussion about like, how do we increase productivity? <laughs> I don't know, man. That's been a that's been a discussion since the late nineteenth century. But I'm not going to give you a whole well, speech uh, on Taylor uh, Taylorism right now. Well, I suppose more what I'm talking about is sort of like the office, like the office culture discussions about productivity. Sure. I was more thinking about like industrial organizational psych and or just like defunct. I'm not calling IO defunct. Uh, I'm calling the other thing defunct. Like defunct or like dumb common sense ideas that people use to increase productivity that usually actually don't work. But, yeah, yeah. Um, people liking their work is actually one of those things that increases productivity. But that is not a valuable goal in and of itself. Um, yeah, it, it's not. So yeah, I think that's <clears throat> that's sort of my take on um why doug is so bland and apolitical and and like i have very little more in terms of like political or economic critique of this show like that's how bland it is (laughs) that's how hard it tries to be apolitical is that it's just like yeah slight critique of money maybe um you know once in a while but they kind of stop and yeah, I mean, like, I guess, like, Mr. Bone is, like, a petty authoritarian, but all vice principals and principals in media for children are petty authoritarians, so it's not like that's particularly interesting. Um, you know, given, like, you know, in this show specifically, you know, like, like, it's a common trope. Also, I wonder why the hell people focus on vice principals and not just a principal. Right? I wonder that, too, because it's, like, everything ever, like, Saved by the Bell, vice principal. Ned's Declassified, vice principal. Um, The only one I can think of off the top of my head that actually has a principal is Hey Arnold. No, he's a vice principal. Are you sure? I thought he was a principal, too. I'm going to look it up right now. Hmm. Yeah, but um, 
So I don't know. I have like maybe a little bit to say about characters and whatnot. Oh no, um, he is a principal. Sorry, you're right. He is a principal. Yeah. So I don't know. I have like a few things to say about Mr. Bone. Um, Don Knotts voices him. Don Knotts is incredible. Uh, truly a national treasure. Um, if for no other reason, watch such a show to hear Don Knotts' great performance as Mr. Lamar Bone, the yodeling pet- petty authoritarian vice principal. He's great. <laughs> hes It's just really funny. Don Knotts does a really good job. And he's so, like impotently angry all the time that it's just it's really entertaining i do enjoy episodes with him i i hated characters like him as a kid because like i was a kid and i identified with the kids and i still think he's a Mm -hmm. terrible administrator but (laughs) i think looking at the performance it's very good and very funny and what would he be without yodeling I just can't imagine how how he would not yodel because that's so funny and so key to what he does in a lot of episodes. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so actually, I think there's a number of things to deconstruct here regarding psychology because, and actually, I was just thinking of this: the show's format of an everyday court sort of slice of life format Mm -hmm. actually might lend itself a little bit better to a couple of psychological looks at the show because when you've got adventures or you're dealing with really complex situations like in Hey Arnold you focus a lot on the situation and events Mm -hmm. rather than mindsets And so with a show like this where there's less of that, it's a little bit easier, I don't know, to focus on stuff. And sort of the biggest thing that I think I noticed is that Doug is a show obsessed with shame. Yes. Uh, Shame and embarrassment feature prominently in the show. So much so that it's grating to me. Um, you get some of it at the beginning where, you know, everybody, when they're a new kid in a school, everybody worries about belonging. Like people have varying degrees of need to belong, but everybody has some need to belong. It's like a very key psychological factor of our lives. And people... <laughs> Because, like, one of the things that allows people to engage and maintain social social relationships is the emotion of shame. Because shame allows you to calibrate behavior to suit a group. And without that, like, groups themselves are hard-pressed to stay together. It's like one of the adaptations we have for social life is the understanding of what other people think is bad or wrong. And how not to do it. So shame itself is not necessarily problematic in that sense. Like shame exists for a reason, but uh, it goes overboard. And I think this connects to another aspect of Doug, like the person that I might mention, but the first episode you're like, okay, he's the new kid. He's worried about fitting in totally relatable. 
The next episode, he's worried about going to a dance and he can't dance and he's worried about getting laughed at. Okay. And it just goes on and on and on with each scenario. He's like, I'm afraid these people are going to laugh at me or they're going to make fun of me. And it's to the point where he's friends with these people now and he still worries about them making fun of him. And at a point, you're just like, you've learned this lesson already, kid. Seriously. Well, it's like almost every episode. Like, the majority of the episodes have something to do with being afraid of, of judgment for others or being ashamed in some way. And because of this, I think... So, Jenkins has said that... Uh, I think it was something like, don't quote me, I will have to go find it again. <laughs> but I remember reading it as something like, it's based on his life, about like coming of age and worrying about that kind of stuff. And so that's probably why it features prominently. But I don't know, at some point it makes me think that Doug is a highly anxious kid. Because yeah. that would explain why... Because anxiety, like, anxiety has, like, other aspects of, like, emotions. Anxiety exists for a reason. Like, it exists to increase vigilance and alert us to problems that we need to deal with. But anxiety can be pathological. And uh, anxiety can also run away with itself. And then it can start to cause problems. And so, like, highly, like, and, and people individually vary in, like, anxiousness. So typically we call it neuroticism, like the personality trait of neuroticism, which is not one's capacity to be anxious necessarily, but neuroticism details how emotionally reactive people are to things. And this includes both positive and negative emotions, and you see neuroticism predicting a lot of, like, neuroticism predicts anxiety, which is not Color surprising. Girl. Like, anxiety is emotional react. It's like reacting to stuff. So naturally, a person who is intrinsically more reactive is going to be more prone to anxiety given the right, you know, factors in their lives. So Doug seems like highly neurotic to me, or at the very least, like super anxious, which is strange to me because his family is fairly supportive. His life is fairly stable. So it seems. Why would he be so anxious? And people, there are some people that are just anxious just because, like, just because of reasons we still don't even understand yet. So it could just be, like, intrinsic anxiety problems. Um, you know, moving is a very stressful event in a person's life. Like, moving is one of the most stressful events in a person's life next to, like, marriage, divorce, death. So it could... Yeah, I mean, a couple of times when I moved as a child, it sent me into, like, an anxiety tailspin for a year. And it certainly, it certainly can. And so that could, like, the very, my, like... The, the stress of such an event can sometimes be the catalyst for problems that last 
even longer than one would expect. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so so I think you think that Doug is a very anxious child, and something that happens with anxiety sometimes is dissociation. And my take on Doug's fantasy life was that he was experiencing like regular episodes of pretty severe dissociation because you see him, he'll start to have acted out his fantasies and he won't at first realize what it is he doing he's doing. But you told me that that's not actually, that's not pathological dissociation. Well, I mean, okay. So whenever we talk about something as pathological, you have to somehow operationalize that. So for example, one of the ways that pathological, like people look at pathological things is that it's causing problems. So it's either causing distress to the person or distress to those around them in conjunction with and interfering with like everyday activity. So when you look at Doug, he's not distressed by his imagination. And aside from a couple of weird events, it's not really causing him to be unable to do well in school, maintain relationships. I, I really wouldn't call it pathological, personally. Hmm. I, I, daydreaming is super common. Daydreaming is a super common dissociative activity. And Doug is very, very creative. He's a creative person. He draws comics. He writes in a journal. He, he's like an artist. And creativity can sometimes uh, like make us imagine things is worse than they are. So like some of the anxiety might be related to the creativity. He's just able to imagine really weird scenarios where he could become embarrassed. And so he starts to worry about it, even though it's really not likely at all. And he seeks escape in creative activities. And I would say, if you want to call it something, it's a coping mechanism for stress. But I, I, I would, I'm, I mean, I'm not diagnosing him. Like, I'm not qualified. And you also shouldn't diagnose somebody just by watching a TV show. That's very bad. People should not do that. Um, but I, I think he's just, I think he just daydreams a little bit too intensely sometimes. And it could become a problem, but overall, I don't think it impacts his life or his mood enough to really be called a problem. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I accept your argument. <laughs> well, I'm, at le- I'm glad you at least accept it as an argument. <laughs> rather than a rambling or, oh, yeah. or some other thing. Um. Uh, yeah. So I, I, you'll, Doug does actually have really interesting creative stuff. He comes up with like a superhero. We get Quail Man, which is a like a which comes up more than I remember actually. Uh, yeah. But let's talk about Doug's relationships with other people, and maybe some other stuff that we noticed. Um, I love Judy. Let's talk a little bit about Judy. So Paige describes Judy as super fucking extra. Yeah. Which I didn't so know. Extra. I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> oh, Chris but, is an old. But if you remember Judy, 
Like she's the she's she's the drama club student. She wears the fucking hat. The what do you call it? The beret. The beret, and she wears dark glasses constantly. She's wearing the black dress, and she she has cool kids with nose piercings, and she drives around looking f- to feel something and perform in crazy places and do like live art demonstrations and she goes to like the school for the arts you know <laughs> like that they have in their town of 2000 people right it's really yeah um but for the most part she doesn't torment Doug as a big sister she's kind of hands off she she is Fairly not terrible to Doug. There are a couple times... Yeah, she teases him, but it's not bad. Which I think is interesting because it's the difference between a big sister and a big brother. I definitely think in media, big brothers are more tormentors. Whereas big sisters are mostly disinterested or teasing. I mean, look at... Look at, um... Oh my god... Look at Susie's big sister and the Rugrats. Oh, yeah. She just, like, doesn't give a shit. Teasing disinterested. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nancy, at the beginning of Stranger Things, disinterested. Exactly. It's like a trope. That's a trope. Which, ooh. Lindsay and Freaks and Geeks. Teasing disinterested. Trope. <laughs> Speaking of tropes, something that's going to come up in many, many, many places in cartoons and media in general. And I noticed the show, I've noticed it intrinsically, or, or, or immediately, sorry. Remember Roger and how he torments, but is also Doug's friend. It's really weird. Yes. Um, Roger's got the long bird beak nose and he's colored as like this pea green. And then the goons that follow him around, like... One has got, like, a big, weird eye. One has got buck teeth. Um, Overall, they're, like, less symmetrical or skinny than everybody else. And this is a common trope. Because if the show has bad guys, they're the bad guys. The show which takes no stance. Like, they're, (laughs) they're the most problematic. I mean, Roger even features as the villain in Doug's Quailman comic books. Yeah, in his fantasies. So, they don't, they're, like, less aesthetically pleasing. This is, like, this is sort of the flip side of this trope that has also been studied a lot in psychology, which is called what is, what is beautiful is good. And... The basic premise is that people ascribe goodness to beauty. And you can study this in psychology where you you have people assign like traits to attractive people and they assign positive traits to those people. They're more honest, they're more kind, they are like healthier, they're all these things. Even though you literally know none of that. The flip side is true to this as well. 
So it stands to reason that the less attractive you are, the less goodness is ascribed to you. And sometimes it flips where ugly is bad. Ugliness is bad. And I mean, you see this shit with like the Hunchbacker of Notre Dame. You see it with the Beast. Um, you see it with villains. Villains typically have some really weird trait. Um, or they're gay. A big scar, or an eye patch, or a hook for a hand. Or they have some intrinsic factor that's negative. Like, they're gay, or effeminate, or... It's like, the, like badness is ascribed to a lot of traits. And so you see this slip through, because it's so... Not only is it ingrained in our culture, but it's ingrained in our psychology, in what is known as the halo effect... Which, when, when, like, something is liked, when a person is liked, like, that effect sort of spreads to every other aspect of that person. And attractiveness is liked. People like attractive people. Um, that's, like, one of the most enduring effects you find in, like, mating or just general human relations is that we like attractive things. We like attractive people. Attractive people do better in life because we ascribe good things to them and we give them more chances. We give them like better grades. Like it, it, it spreads to everything. Um, yeah. And so Which Roger brings us, I think to Patty. Uh, uh, I was just going to say that Roger and his goons are less attractive, like aesthetically and they're bad. People ascribe badness to them. And so you you will see this all the time. You'll, you'll see it a lot. Um, just keep an eye out for it. Harold kind of fit that bill. Um, so did the fifth grader that sold them Wolfgang, out. Wolfgang, yeah. Uh, Wolfgang. So did the little dude with the hoodie and the one eyebrow and the beak nose. Um, yeah. Well, what I was saying is like um, Patty shows the other side of that because Patty is the most normal looking person in this whole show. She's blonde, like, tan skin, um, small little cute nose when most other people don't have a small little cute nose in this show. Thin, but also athletic. Mm hmm. Like she she's and of course, Doug falls for her. Right. The, yeah. Like. Patty's kind of a Mary Sue. Patty is kind of a Mary Sue. She gets more complicated. Like, you find out her mother's dead, her father's disabled. Um, mm -hmm. Patty is, like, the cruelest person in the show, though. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. She is kind of a Mary and, Sue, sure. but she's also awesome. Yeah, she's just great. Patty's great. Like, Patty is the embodiment of kind of, like, all goodness in the world. A couple of times, you see Patty let her negative emotions get the better of her, and she'll lash out a little bit. Um, but that's all, really. And then she um, always, she's always the one to apologize. Yeah, actually, absolutely. She's so always the one. Like, she has to monitor her own emotions. Mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. nobody else will do it for her. The dudes don't. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, so it's like Patty is, she is smart. She gets good grades in school. You know, when the otherwise um, academically successful Doug is struggling with math, the teacher asks Patty to tutor, excuse me, to tutor Doug with math. She's athletic. She's a great pitcher. She plays um, both 
baseball slash softball and beatball, whatever that is. And is also um, as good as boys. Like, that's kind of a point. Like, the show tries to take a gender equality stance where it's like, look at Patty. She can she can just be one of the boys. But mm-hmm. it, it, t- it falls into that trope where a girl has to act like a man to be valued as a man, like, as a person, rather than we should accept all types of traits is valid so it falls into that very easy trap to fall into yeah uh what what you used to like subversion is sometimes not like it tries to subvert a trope but it ends up just kind of being the same thing yeah absolutely absolutely and um you know in, in addition to being skilled right athletically and academically patty is also just like the best person around she is like an incredibly kind and thoughtful and understanding person in fact most of the time when doug starts to feel better about something it's because of patty um uh patty will be like oh i think your nose looks great doug and he'll be like oh i feel amazing now but it's not only just that he really likes patty it's that Patty is constantly saying like kind and reassuring things to him and picking up on it when he's stressed out and like caring for him emotionally. <laughs> yeah, you see Patty is very integral to any growth that Doug shows. Mm-hmm. Not all of it, but a lot of it. A significant amount, yeah. Yeah. Uh you heard it here first. Um Doug Funny forces local woman to do all of his emotional labor. <laughs> oh my god. Um I mean it, and then so much of it is simple reassurance which mm-hmm. uh to be fair he doesn't try and pull it out of Patty and he doesn't obsessively no, seek it. Yeah. it. So it's not like he's trying to burden her with it. Um but Yeah, she's just a really nice person. Like, Patty's just the best person in that whole town. And naturally, the only person she shows active dislike towards is Roger. Like, overt dislike. Which, again, fits back into the old, like, ugly is bad. It's okay to like people who are bad. Or it's okay to dislike. Even for, like, the nicest person, it's okay if they hate that mean person. Yeah. Because that mean person, like... Is they deserve for it. A reason, you know, and we also find out, by the way, that like the show, the show knows what it's doing, and I guess they're trying to like humanize Roger in this way. But like, you're still saying like, but like, people never turn around and be nice to Roger. So they show us that Roger is his parents are divorced. His dad lives in another state. Um. And then he rarely sees him. And his mom is like a long haul trucker or something. And and so there are times when, you know, Roger will want his mom to do things with him and she just can't, Um, you know. And so they kind of humanize and or there are times where you see that Roger himself is is scared of something or he's lonely or he's insecure. And also, you know, he clearly isn't doing well in school because he has really bad spelling and stuff like that. So basically, it's showing us that Roger is like a poor kid 
um, who doesn't get to see his dad and whose mom has to work all the time, who is struggling in school and feels alone and insecure. So he puts on a tough act to deal with it. They show us all that. Great. But then they never have any of the kids like take their time, like being nice to him. Right. Like nobody like I guess he's always invited to events, but people are actively mean to him while he's there. And it's still portrayed as sort of like and anytime anybody is nice to him, it's like, look, kids like Doug and Skeeter are really good people. They're the better people because they're gonna help roger out with something when roger is such a shitty mean guy and doesn't actually deserve it yeah it's it's, like that's really fucked up look at the burden they take to help this person and yeah i i i think that's really interesting because they don't get to see all of this these problems that roger deals with and Mm -hmm. let me tell you predictions are not good for roger in life based on like a lot of these factors with no interventions and like no social ties to friends. Yeah. There are not good outcomes in his future. And it's not really anybody's fault. But Yeah, you see his mom his mom's super nice. It's not her fault. But um Yeah, they set us up with sort of a tragic tragic situation and then do nothing about it. Yeah, they kind of were like, see kids, like when people bully you, it's because they have stuff going on with them but then they take no action based off of that like they just let it be like but you know even though they're doing it even though it doesn't it doesn't have anything to do with you and it has everything to do with them however fuck them still like (laughs) they were mean to you so just like fuck them what a bizarre message okay okay i i i just end up feeling bad for him it's also kind of obvious because that's always the lesson that gets taught is like this mean person has a really shitty home life mm-hmm. and it would have been nice if they had gone a step further with it. Yeah. Um, and actually had people take action on it. Like that's, I feel like that's a big nineties thing too. If, is Arnold, that... if Arnold had been involved, he would have done something about it. Oh my God. Yes. Arnold would have like made Roger into like his new best friend. <laughs> Or, or would have, like, he and Arnold would have, like, given up time and money and effort to try and get his mom to be home more or something. Like, Arnold actually shows he cares because he's hecka invested or hella invested enough to do shit about it. Like, it bothers him so much he gets up and he goes and he does something rather than simply tolerating that person. Yeah, I mean, like, Arnold is the hero that we deserve. So when we have people (laughs) like Arnold, people like Doug, just feel incomplete. Yeah, like, honestly, they really do. But, like, so that's the thing, is that even Doug's relationships to people are, like, it's, like, an incredibly... Oh, in addition to its blandness, um, just in the sense that... The only relationship that we see Doug have that doesn't seem kind of shallow um, is with Skeeter. You know, he experiences the episode at the end of the first season is a clip show precipitated by the fact that we think Skeeter's going to move away. Spoiler alert, he does not move away. 
Um, and Doug and Skeeter are both really torn up about being separated from one another. You know, there's a real mutual caring and love there um, where they help each other out with stuff. Skeeter more often helps Doug with stuff than the other way around. And they're really torn up about it um, being separated. And but then, you know, there's Doug's relationship with Roger, which is Doug is being bullied by Roger, but. Doug also knows nothing about Roger. He's like, why is Roger going to pick on me all the time? And then just like, but like doesn't give a shit about it at all. <laughs> like, you know, and doesn't seem to know that like Roger doesn't actually hate him that much because when every, when all his friends go to Roger's house, he assumes that Roger's just going to steal them all away. When really he was throwing a party, a surprise party for Doug at his house, you know, his trailer actually, by the way. Um, and then Doug's relationship to Patty is similar in that, yeah, Patty's actually, like, really cool. You know, she's a really nice person, and she's smart, and she's athletic. And um, Doug really likes her, and she's really nice to him. But what does Doug really know about Patty? Like, he only knows really obvious stuff about Patty, and the only insight we really get to see into her is, for one, they just show her dad, who is in a wheelchair, and that's all we know about it. And they mention that her dad has died and that they had to leave her old house. Um, and that's all. And um, she doesn't even really talk about that with Doug. She He hears it from someone else, and it helps to explain her emotions to him. But that's really all he only knows that she likes sports and is good at math and nice. Yeah. And his, his sort of like puppy love is a key motivating like story thing in the show. Mm -hmm. You can't help but wonder if he in the future might turn into one of those nice guys, TM. <laughs> I don't know. I think he'll be okay because there's a whole episode where he goes to do, he does a magic show for Patty um, it's, that's another tick in the PUA box, but, uh, they accidentally get handcuffed together, which is also a common trope. And, and basically at the end, he confesses to her, you know, like, I'm really sorry, but you're just all I ever think about. And I just really wanted to impress you. And, and they kind of talk it out a little bit. And Patty says, you know, of all my friends, you're the one that I like to be around the most. And, you know, there's sort of an emotionally tense moment. And then a few episodes later, she asks him on a date and they have a date. But the whole premise is, you know, oh, none of them want to call it a date because they're 12 and it makes them nervous. So it seems that Doug's feelings for Patty are requited. So hopefully that will save him from becoming a nice guy to him. <laughs> oh, but that just fit. Paige, did you just say that if Patty rejects him, it's her fault that he becomes a nice guy? How no. dare you? <laughs> That's not what I meant. You are twisting my words. I know. I know. So the last thing I want to mention, I, I, I wanted to talk about before we finish up here, is what... So it has been said people often notice that the colors because of how crazy they are for people's skin was like a signal or a message regarding race or lack thereof. And Jenkins himself 
has said that like it stands as a testament to the irrelevance of race. And oh, but okay. Doug's white. Doug and Patty, the two Doug, Doug's family and Patty, the most important characters are all clearly white. No one looks like a black person, and then everybody else is wild colors. Right. And I, I think that like this that statement happened out of the show. So let's let's not and it also sounds kind of like a like a post hoc statement. Sorry, I'm I'm not gonna no, I'm not gonna let him get away with it. That's bullshit. Well that's I, this, that's classic, like, you know, I don't see race, but it's like everybody who is really important in the show is clearly animated as a real world, like white skin tone person, and no real world skin tones besides that show up anywhere in the show. Like that's I'm not gonna give Jim Jenkins a pass on that. Well I'm not trying to give him a pass. I was trying to focus the discussion on things that happen in the show because that comment was made in like two thousand fourteen. Okay, fair like, fair enough. Fair when enough. I, when I said post hoc, what I meant is it only occurred after the show had finished and people started talking about it. Okay. Um no, I definitely don't think that gets a pass. But, okay, cool. Sorry, I just let it get away from me there. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a it, it's a serious problem. It's a serious problem when white people are like, race doesn't matter when it clearly has serious implications for people's lives. Um, mm-hmm. Usually what people mean when they say that is that they, they think that in their lives they will not judge other people based on race. So part of it is an imprecision of language. But even then, it's really not fair to say that when it does matter in the lives of the people that you're talking about. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. overall statements like that have problems. They try to express a moral, which is an ideal, which in and of itself isn't necessarily terrible, but it's just like, I don't know. It's super problematic when you look at race relations in the modern world. It's like, you can't just say that and wish it. <laughs> wish it were yeah. like that yeah for sure you should also be for more sure. precise with your language um, yeah i agree with you though something i did wonder for the first just the first couple of episodes as we're getting to know skeeter is i kind of wondered if skeeter despite being blue was sort of coded as black well see and people have said that skeeter uh shows stereotypical black behaviors or traits so he's been criticized for that but i don't know i was watching him i can't really see it that well like maybe yeah maybe well it's not like you know with um with you know garnet and steven universe where like her skin is red and she's an alien but she's very clearly coded as black you know you know there's no ifs ands or buts um whereas skeeter is a little more subtle but just i think about 1991 and in the first episode um skeeter's he always wears sort of like athletic wear with puffier pants and he beatboxes um and he he knows how to dance and do cool dancing and he teaches doug about music and you know do you see where i'm going with that yeah and his his mom also wears kind of i don't know the way his mom dresses is kind of coded too a little bit 
Um, I don't know if you remember what she looks like. Yeah, I do. Um, are you thinking that she maybe evokes a little bit of like the mammy image? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can definitely see that. But uh, overall, now that you mention it. like overall, other people aren't really coded, but they're mostly, I don't know, they're mostly standard white features. Mm-hmm. So overall, I don't know if they really were thinking about race. Like maybe he just wanted a colorful show and that's what he chose <laughs> to do. But um, I don't think it really makes a statement either way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely. Like it would, but that's definitely something I was thinking about. I'm like, hmm, Doug and his whole family is white. Patty's white. Everybody else is purple and blue and green. And there are no black people. Hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, and then also I was thinking in the first few episodes about whether maybe Skeeter was, like, coded as black. Yeah. But um, that's certainly something that people have talked about a lot. So, I, I, his comment post hoc is problematic though about it being yes, irrelevant because it because it certainly is still relevant and certainly still factored into their animation style of the main characters, um, <laughs> but <laughs> I think that I've really said most of what I wanted to say about Doug. Yeah, honestly, like I'm trying to think if there was anything. I mean, you know, like I could go into I could just like kind of like talk about you know characters or like jokes that I like but like I don't really have really much useful analysis left um Doug there's honestly like it's enjoyable but there's not a whole lot in the show yeah Doug this is an animates first where we are doing a show in one episode yeah how you Be- like that bitches because i i don't have very much left either i'm sure i could find stuff but at that point it would be an exercise in wheel spinning more than anything yeah what and, would be the purpose of that and i think you should my recommendation would be to check out a couple of episodes of doug like go back yeah, and watch 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 like five episodes and i think once you've seen yeah. five episodes you've kind of seen the whole show yeah, like have fun with all the mouth sounds. Appreciate the uh, in show, uh, the the song "Killer Tofu" by the in show band. Okay, beats. so last because comment. That's a dope song. <laughs> last comment. I swear to God, the beats, which is a pun on the Beatles. Mm-hmm. They're super awesome. I love the yeah. beats. Killer tofu. Yeah, they're um. Their music itself kind of sa- doesn't really sound like the Beatles. It sounds more like the Who mixed in with the Clash. It's actually really cool. Like the people who did the music did not have to go that hard on Killer Tofu. It's so it's so good. Um, so enjoy that part of it. That's fun. But yeah, it's it's not. You don't need to sit down and watch all of it. It's really once you once you've seen a few of them, you've really seen them all. And we will be moving on to. Have we have we formally decided, Paige? I think we did. We have formally decided. I've been keeping it a secret, but uh, some of the real animates heads who look at the Twitter that I run so horribly may have guessed last night that our next program will be Dexter's Lab. That's right, friends. We're moving on to Cartoon Network, which... Cartoon, cartoon. I watched more as a kid, and 
we get to see some of that Hanna Barbera action, which mm, delicious. <laughs> I don't know. Dexter's Lab is interesting in its animation enough that like that isn't a bad thing. Yeah, no, it was surprising to me because I didn't realize that, like, I kind of thought Hanna-Barbera died in the 80s, but what happened is it merged with Turner Media, which merged with WB, and, like, Cartoon Network became a a network, and then Hanna-Barbera, in conjunction with Cartoon Network Studios, was doing most of the original cartoon cartoon lineup. (laughs) Is what actually happened. So I, Dexter's Lab marks the beginning of our move uh, into shows with a lot of nerdy references that I will probably get, but Paige may not get or might not. Like, for example, Dexter's Lab makes a lot of references to anime, which I oh, love. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, did you get that message from me last night that in, like, the third episode... And I was explaining to my boyfriend because he doesn't watch anime. What? I was like, okay. Uh, so leave they're him. referencing what? Leave him. I'm making, I'm getting him slowly. He likes rail wars <laughs> um, because he loves transit. Um, but uh, so I was, I paused the show and I was like, okay. So right now they're referencing sort of like a whole genre of anime. They're referencing mecha anime. And in the suit design here, it's more of a reference to Gundam. However, in that combat style and all of the sound effects and stuff and the animation, they're referencing a really famous 90s anime called Neon Genesis Evangelion. And he was like, that's really cool, babe. Well, and they also do because they the robot is a zoid like it takes little tiny parts and makes them into a big robot it's reminiscent of both power rangers and uh voltron which i don't know if you've ever seen i've actually never watched voltron i think it's voltron there's somebody in our audience that's gonna grill me if i don't get this right i know that voltron i don't know if that's actually the name of the show it is Voltron. But I know, it is Voltron. Okay. I got it right. I got it right. Um, yeah. But, you know, I'm familiar with the concept of, like, Voltron was five smaller robots that weighed one big robot or, like, in... Um, well, that's a common That's a common. Uh, Gurlagon, you know, like also. That, that, that is its own... I think that's, like, its own subgenre of mecha is the... the <laughs> You're right. The... Five or six tiny mecha makes one big mecha that's always shaped like a person. Because um, it's like all the little mecha are animals, but the big mecha is a person. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but like third episode of uh, Dexter's Lab is like going in referencing Ava. Uh, well, it it's depends. Cool. It's going to depend when Dexter's Lab came out because it might have come out before Evangelion. I think it was like shortly afterwards. When when did when did Ava come out? Like ninety five. Yeah. Okay. So Dexter was like two or three years later. God, did Dexter's Lab really start in ninety seven? I might be wrong, but I want to. It started in the late 90s and went on through like 03. Wow. Okay. Okay. Then, yeah, they would have definitely been able to reference Ava. I'll be able to uh, fact check your reference when I watch it again, but I know exactly what episode you're talking about. Is it where Mm -hmm. his family 
all find out that he's got a lab and they fight. No, it's the one where the substitute gym teacher makes him play dodgeball. Okay, wait, this isn't the Dexter's lab episode. I know, I know. To- <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um I've I'm I'm Chris. And I'm Paige. And this has been Animates. This has been Animates. <laughs> you can go ahead and lead us out. And this has been Animates. And where can the where can the lovely oh, people shoot. You find want me us? To give all the info like I normally do. Um, sorry, I just got thrown off because we said it at the same time. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Animates, spelled the same way that it is for the podcast. If you want to email us, that's Animates with the number eight instead of at at gmail.com. We now have a Facebook page that you can like and interact with people on. It's Animates Podcast. Um, and as usual, if you're listening to this on iTunes, please subscribe to it, rate it, review it. It will really help people who do not personally know us find the show and get to listen to it, which is something that we would really, really like.